folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the University and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. Chapter 20 of Genesis is on the docket today. Christianity in Genesis is this podcast series. Where do we see the person and work of Christ in these old Genesis texts? And where, by extension, do we see the Christian's life in him? As head to the body, the Apostle Paul says, so also the members live and move and have our being in him. And this account is going to sound familiar. The sister-wife thing that we talked about in chapter 12 is going to come up again here in chapter 20. It happens again also in 26 with Isaac. We're getting ahead of ourselves because uh, Isaac isn't born yet. But nonetheless, we have three accounts in Genesis of this whole sister-wife thing. Do you remember that in chapter 12? There's a famine and they go down to Egypt, uh, Abram and Sarai do. And he says, oh boy, you're going to have to say that you're my sister, otherwise they're going to kill me. And you know how that goes. Uh, Pharaoh takes her into his house, and um, the servants praise her to Pharaoh is the language there. And then what happens? Well, the Lord's not happy about it. He afflicts Pharaoh with plagues. I mean, this all sounds, you know, Egypt and plagues, and like there's an exodus before the exodus. We talked about that in chapter 12. And then uh, at the end, they come out good on the other side. They come out real good um, because Abe gets Sarah back. And they have gold and silver and livestock and sheep and cattle and all these things. And so there is this kind of, you know, you get the call of our Lord, you get baptized, and then the Spirit kicks you out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Think of our Lord. Think of the wilderness of this world. Think of the descent into Egypt. Everything's great. You're baptized, and then it's descend down into Egypt, and it is, it's terrible. I mean, I think Luther's right when he, Abe would, Abraham would have had to, I don't know, just uh, really wrestle with this sleepless nights and tears and so on. I, how can I say, you know, give my wife up? But that's the thing about the hymn, right, Mighty Fortress. It's take they our, our wife, goods, fame, child, and life. Um, though these all be gone, we still have our victory in Christ. We still have the gospel. And so how much are you willing to give up? Our Lord says this a lot, right? Anyone who's not willing to give up, even father or mother, right? Wife is not worthy to be my disciple. And so you get that with a, that's big. And and you're going to get that again. I think the first big thing I want to say then is why do we have these multiple wife, sister things in Genesis is that, because the Lord drowns the old Adam regularly, and that is we are constantly being pressed in the wilderness of this world. We're constantly being um, asked to take up our cross and to follow our Lord. Do you love me more than these? Goods, fame, child, and even wife. And so even though we had that account in chapter 12, here it comes again. In chapter 20, from there, Abram journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. So he sojourned in Gerar. So here's another thing. Why is he on the move at promised land, you know? And yet he's on the move in a similar place where um, Hagar 
was on the move out of the promised land area going down to Egypt. That's where the Negev is the south. Abe is going toward the south. He lives between Kadesh, which is a word for holy. We know where Kadesh Barnea is. That's kind of on the verge of the holy land. On the one hand is the holy and on the other is is sure um could be like the word for gate or like the entrance into uh it's in the direction of egypt it's it's really you're it's like so many times in abraham's life he's in between uh bethel the house of god or i destruction that's it either or there's no neutral space there's no um third space it's one or the other and that's what he has here. So once again, he's between, you know, the two ways, the way of life, the way of righteousness, and that's that's where he is. Uh, and so he says to Sarah's wife, she is my sister. Sorry, he says of Sarah's wife. It's kind of interesting. He instructs Sarai in chapter 12. Here he's the one saying it, which is kind of interesting. I mean, if you think of Sarah as the church, she's the one that has to has to do this. And here he says of the church, why have you, I mean, you can think, Sarah, I mean, Abe, we've been through this. Why are you doing this again? Why have you forsaken me, O Lord? I don't understand this. You've done this to me before. Why again? doesn't make any sense. And then, of course, we're going to hear a little more dialogue about why they're doing this. But still, the point of, of having to undergo this affliction, this hardship. So Abimelech takes Sarah. This language, by the way, is this is all kind of, it's not good. It's Genesis 3 kind of language. It's the stuff of Eden. Um, you know, I'm just looking at this in the, in the Hebrew, the terms that are used there. He takes her, you know, she looks and sees the tree and takes of its fruit. Now he's, okay, she's just your sister, so he takes her. And then there's going to be this night, you know, Adam was asleep and here we have this dream and it's nighttime. And so you have, you just continue to get Edenic echoes as you go throughout Genesis. So he, he see, and then the language of wife, of course, Adam, your wife, because you listen to the voice of your wife, your wife, your wife, you get the language of wife all the way. So God comes to Abimelech, by the way, Abimelech's name is kind of fascinating, Avi. A B, I guess, in English, but Avi is my father, and Melech is king. So here you have Abraham, father of many nations, going uh, toe to toe with um, my father is king, or the king of my father, or, or um, um, yeah, my father is king is probably probably the way to go there. We're gonna see here um, the kind of kingship that God's people are called to carry out throughout this account. I'll say more about that soon. So he comes to him in a dream and says, And behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. Again, this language from the Garden of Eden you've taken. For she is a man's wife, literally, um, for she is um, possessed or owned um by a, she's mastered by a master, owned by an owner. Um, it sounds kind of maybe you could say oh, that's crass or something like that. Um, but the language is Baal. You've heard of Baal. Baal is like a ruler or a master. It's a false god. Later in the Bible, 
that's the language that's used here. She's baaled. She's baaled by baal. She is uh, mastered by a master already, or owned by an owner. In other words, this is the you know big bad king. Um, but he is not. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard it is to understand, um, you are the Lord's. This is the Christian faith. Neither death nor life nor very convoluted, scandalous, messy situations of sin can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so she remains fully the Lord's, even as uh, we as the church think, how long, O oh Lord, will you leave us like this? Um why are you doing this to why have you forsaken us how long until when why are you sleeping just kind of go through the psalms now abimelech had not approached her didn't draw near to her it says so he said lord will you this is fascinating this is like king of a philistines basically and he's saying he's talking to the lord now that's i mean that's just oh with pharaoh so Luther's kind of interesting. Luther says in chapter 12 with Pharaoh, because of this sister-wife thing, Abe preaches the gospel to him, to Pharaoh, and his servants, and a bunch of people, they hear it. And Lord willing, Luther says, probably some of them converted and praised the Lord. It was a terrible thing for Sarai and Abe to go through, and yet the gospel spread in the midst of it. And here... You get it kind of explicitly. I mean, Pharaoh, we don't have any, in chapter 12, the whole Pharaoh, there's no Pharaoh back and forth with the Lord. But you do get that here with Abimelech. Abimelech talks to the Lord. Lord, will you kill an innocent people? I love that language because it brings to mind the language of chapter 18 and 19. Abe's intercession. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Will you kill? It's the same language. Abimelech uses this term righteous. Will you kill a righteous people? Abimelech is interceding like Abe has interceded for the righteous. He's starting to sound like a converted person. Why are you using the term righteous? What do you mean? What do you, what do you know about righteousness? Lord, will you kill a righteous? He goes right to the people. He's an intercessor all of a sudden. Lord, why why will you uh, why are you mad at me? You know, the Lord said you're a dead man. I mean, that's what he. Why didn't he, why didn't Abimelech just say, well, don't please don't kill me? He starts interceding for his people, and in that way, sounds a lot like Abe and uses the words that Abe does. Will you kill an innocent people? I mean, I think the irony there is Abe thinks he's a dead man on account of Sarah, or Sarai, if she doesn't say I'm the sister, and here. Abimelech, the one who presumably would have killed, is now saying, will you kill, don't kill a righteous people. Did not he himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. So both of them are in on this. Before in chapter 12, it was Abe instructs and Sarah presumably says it, but we don't have any account of her talking. Here we have a very clear word. Everything kind of is escalated. I, I think it's just kind of revved up a notch. As you get to this chapter, both of them very clearly are, are in on this. The church speaks, speaks like the, the, the ministry, as it were, and back and forth. Um, it's responsive, back and forth, like an antiphon or something. We've got both of them, both priesthood and, and church, saying the same thing, confessing this. 
and Abimelech says, hey, they both said it. In the integrity of my heart, this word for integrity is fascinating. It's the same thing you'll hear with Job, blameless, like a complete clean sacrifice. In the integrity of my heart, I've done this. And in the, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God says to him, yeah, that's true. I know that you have done this in the integrity. He repeats the word there. I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. So I'm looking at this Hebrew, same term. And uh, and because of that, it was I who withheld or kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. I mean, this is the fascinating thing about Abimelech is he's using this lingo of Abe, and also this kind of pure sacrifice, tamim, uh, it's, it's like the blameless word for Job again. And the Lord sees that, and that, that's reckoned to him as, that's a good thing. I'm, that's, therefore, I prevented you from this sin. Now, we don't have a full-blown you know, confession of Yahweh at this point, or any you know, revealed look, per se, into his, the spiritual condition of his heart, but he's kind of, he's... He's acting and speaking like Abe here. And the Lord is saying, well, that's why I didn't you know, let you touch her. And I love that word for touch because it's the same word that is for using a, uh, with plagues. Striking with a plague is, is, is literally to touch with a plague. It's the same word that's used in chapter 12. There's a lot of echoes between the two, naturally, the sister-wife narratives. The Lord touched Pharaoh with plagues. And here, because of this righteous behavior on the part of Abimelech, my father is king, the Lord doesn't let any plague or affliction uh, come upon his church. And that, by the way, is totally why we pray in these petitions um, in church, prayer of the church, that we would you know, have godly government or people in government making godly decisions and so on for the sake of the peace of the church. It, it totally, this is the kingdom of the left and kingdom of the right. The church is doing its thing, the kingdom of the right, forgiveness of sins and so on, word and sacrament. But that can be, um, that can be hindered when the kingdom of the left is an absolute mess. It can make it harder. It can, uh, you know, lead to uh, a stifling of these things. Um, it can lead toward tensions and animosity and so on that we'd rather not have so that the gospel can have free course, as a lot of these petitions, you know, the old colics, and so that the gospel may not be bound but have free course and be preached to the joy and edifying of Christ's, uh, edification of Christ's holy people, you know, these kinds of colics. This is the thing with Abimelech. We pray for good and godly rulers so that the church is not struck by their terrible decisions and have to sort through additional messes. I mean, king, the, the kingdom that we're talking about is raging against the devil and his minions and spiritual principalities and powers in the heavenly places, as Paul puts in Ephesians 6. we got enough going on beyond flesh and blood. And yet the kingdom of the left has a lot of corrupt flesh and blood in it. And, so we, and that's why we pray for good and godly Abimelechs around us. Now then, return the man's wife, which is just, I mean, you give up, anybody who's not willing to give up life will, will lose it, and if you don't lose it, you won't get it. And that's exactly what Abe does and Sarah. They both confess that we're going to have to give this up. Abe, his wife, and Sarah, her life. 
And that's the role of the church. That's what our Lord has called us to do. If anyone's not willing to give up everything and follow me, anybody doesn't want to lose his life, um, won't be able to have it. But anybody who loses will find it. This, this is exactly what happens. Return the man's wife. For he is a prophet. Very fascinating. This is, wait, Abe is what? He's, Abe is everything. Abe is, I mean, he, he cleans house of the kings in chapter 14. So he's kingly. And he's called here a prophet. This is actually the only time in Genesis this word occurs, this prophet. And then what happens next? So that he will pray for you and you shall live. Prayer is a very priestly thing, intercession. I mean, Abe already prayed too in chapter 18, of course, the intercession for Sodom and so on. Abe is like, Abe is very much prophet, priest, and king. Uh, If you don't return her, know that she'll surely die, that you will surely die, excuse me, you and all who are yours. I mean, there you get this connection between this is a whole household and everybody to you affair. But yeah, Abe is prophet, priest, and king, and uh, you get a sense of you get a sense of that here. We'll have more to say about that um, very soon. I'm, I'm overdue for a break, but keep that in mind. Abe as prophet, priest, king. We're gonna we're gonna pick right up with that uh, on the other side of our break. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime. I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin, is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, Folks, we are back with our study of Genesis chapter 20, father of many nations, interacting here with the father of uh, my father is king, this kingly father. I think in some ways you get a picture of the kind of kingship that uh, Abe has with his heavenly father in the actions of Abimelech. I guess this is one of these things where it's like, you know, this Sarah in many ways reflects the church, but at the same time, Abe does. And sometimes they both do just various facets of it. And then Abimelech too. I mean, you see this kind of, there's a church and state thing going on here with, with Abimelech and this, you know, good and godly leader, as we talked about, it's what you want. And at the same time, you get this kind of, uh, what? This is an opportunity for Abimelech. We're going to hear Abimelech 
presumably, as Luther has it so many times, here's the gospel, here's the word through this interaction. Um, so we left off with chapter 7. Abe is, is very prophet, priest, and king in all of this. Abimelech rises early in the morning. This is just, again, this language is what Abe does. Like he rose very early in the morning in the previous chapter. Um, and so it's just like, this is, this all, Abimelech's starting to sound like Abe. He's acting like Abe. And I think that's significant. There's some parallels there. There's this, is he, you know, has the, has the Holy Spirit taken root there through the word and, and started to bring about something in this, this otherwise unknown Philistine king. We're going to have more to say about Abimelech as we go along. But yeah, he was warned about this. You will surely die if you do this, which is, again, straight out of Eden. You will surely die. And so he makes makes amends here. He rises early in the morning, calls all of his servants, tells them all these things. So here's a preacher. I mean, this is the words that I'm seeing here in Hebrew. He's calling out. He's proclaiming this. This is the kind of thing that here's Abimelech the preacher and all of his servants are very much afraid. This is going to be a key word here because of the fear. Uh, he's going to talk to Abe in this way. What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? I mean, didn't the Lord always already say this in the dream, right? And yet here's the opportunity to hear the gospel, as it were. I mean, gospel in the wide sense. He's going to talk about the fear of God. Um, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abe, notice there's no response there. That's fascinating. No response. He didn't say anything. And so this first question, Abe just, I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't respond. Um, and Abimelech not only got, has the dream from the Lord, but he's, he's, he wants to hear this now through one of the Lord's servants, namely Abraham, and he's not going to let it set until he gets a response. He's this persistent widow, going to keep poking. This is exactly, this is Christian prayer. This is the Christian life of faith where we keep holding our Lord to his promises. We keep going to his called and ordained servants to deliver the means of grace to us. He goes to Abraham, what did you see? that you did this thing. And then Abe says, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Now that's a fascinating little exchange here. Here, Abimelech turns into kind of a preacher, and yet he gets more of the of the gospel story here from Abram. And notice, this is inviting a kind of, wait, fear of God. What do you mean by that? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, obey the word, his commandments, and so on, fear of God. And then also we have this little kind of a genealogy, as it were, you know, she's technically his half-sister. See, some have really played with this, like, well, he's not technically, he's not fully lying. It's a half-truth. But I think the bigger point here is he's kind of recounting the story of salvation. 
fear of God convicts. You know, hey, is there no fear of God in this place whatsoever? This is just a terrible, it sounds like Sodom all over again. There is absolutely no fear of God in this place. And yet here's a Sodom that hears the word and makes amends. Because Abimelech hears that there's no fear of God, and then here's this kind of story of salvation. God caused me to wander from my father's house. What kind of God do you have, Abraham? God caused me to wonder. Okay, so let's think of why would God have him do that? What's the per- well, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. So now we hear, we hear some law. We hear some, let's say, gospel and the narrative of salvation, God causing him to wonder, and then how Abe speaks to his bride, the church. This is literally the hesed, such a big, just phenomenal word in Hebrew, it's loving kindness, usually translated in English. It's, it's the covenantal stuff. Abimelech hears that a conviction about fear of God. Then he hears about kind of this narrative, the genealogy, and also the, the journey, this narrative of salvation. And then also how Abe speaks to his bride, the church. And this word hesed, he hears about the covenant. He hears about the kind of hesed that she is to show him in all times and places throughout the Christian church's existence. The eternal church, Melanchthon would call it. We show the hesed reflecting the hesed that was first shown to us. We love others because because God first loved us in Christ. That's the hesed that you must show me in all places where we go. In all times of affliction, no matter how bad, scandalous, and severe, and convoluted the sin is, this is the hesed that we must show our Lord. And that is, uh, we walk not by by sight, uh, but by faith. And we confess this gospel, and that we're willing to give up, uh, take they our, our life, goods, fame, child, and wife, though these all be gone. This is the hesed that you must show me wherever we go. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Abimelech hears that, and this is just, that's the kind of covenantal relationship that she has with you and that your Lord has with you both. Now, again, I don't, we're not given this full scope of, and in some ways that's probably intentional. It's the point that it's conveyed to him in this way, that here's this kind of, I mean, it's like a church-state inner, inner uh, action that leads to a hearing of the gospel. And again, Luther's big on this. Even in chapter 12 with Pharaoh, we don't give any account of that, but Luther's like, I guarantee that in their exchange, he also preached sermons and, you know, people heard the gospel and so on. Abimelech hears this. There's no response. Well, how is this, how is, you know, how is this to be or whatever? Abimelech takes sheep and oxen, male servants, female servants, all the stuff that you must be willing to give up. We get them already in this life a hundredfold. Sound like a parable? You know, already in this life, you'll receive things. The, the, the blessings of eternal life, they spill over into the present. And Abe gets all this stuff and returns Sarah, his wife, to him. And now we have land. The land is before you. Dwell wherever it pleases you. Doesn't it sound like Lot? You know, lift up your eyes, Lot, and Lot goes after. Doesn't this, this sounds like a replay of all that. Abimelech just speaking, he's acting like Abe, he's acting like Lot. He's kind of, wow, is he close to the things of our Lord here. We're talking about land too, all the goods, goods, fame, child, and wife, and land. Um, To Sarah he said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. So 
Here's something he, he gives to the priesthood. He gives to the church. He gives a sign, literally a covering of her innocence, kind of a, fa- a, cover, a covering in the eyes, a covering of the eyes of all. So, so the church is covered. There's something here that Abimelech gives that supports the covering of the church. We are clothed in Christ. We're covered, that language of covering the tabernacle, covering. We're covered by Christ. We're covered in this way. Abimelech supports the covering of the church by this action, by this kind of support. Before everyone, you will be vindicated. And then Abram prays to God. God heals Abimelech and his wife, female slaves, so that they bore children. So apparently, you know, as the last verse has it, the Lord closed all the wombs because of this ordeal, which is to say this is all about this big history of salvation, the promised seed who is to come from Sarah. And because of this this womb closing, by the way, this is exactly the kind of thing that we've we've heard about. Hagar said, or uh, sorry, Sarah had, you see how rich this is. Sarah herself, the Lord has held back, restrained my womb in chapter 16. And it's like Abimelech's churchly behavior. Now he he opens up the wombs of all of his church. The Lord had closed the womb, just like Sarah. The, the Abimelech has a Sarah too, has a bunch of Sarahs. And now those wombs that were once restrained in the very same way that Sarah's were are now opened up. And they will bear children just like Sarah herself will bear Isaac very soon. Um, But here this Lord does this business of just reflective of grafting in these Gentiles, how the, the gospel, even in the midst of persecution, the famine, the we have to sojourn where? And I have to say what about I have to give up what for the sake of this? God works through to accomplish good things. Uh, for not only for those who love him, but in order to share that word far and wide, including to Abimelech, this king of the Philistines and all his household. Fascinating stuff. We continue to get fascinating pictures in Genesis of the gospel, the Christian gospel, and its church of all times and places. Tune in next time. We'll tackle chapter 21. Fascinating stuff there, too. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian Gurman, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. 